you're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Chris Horlop from Gonk. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing great. Very happy to be here. Excited to talk. Perfect. So today, Chris, our conversation will be about low-tech factor that will dominate your competition. Okay, so it's based on a, an article that you recently wrote. But before we dive into the topic, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself, your role at Gong, and also what, the, what Gong do as a business? Sure. So my name's Chris. I've been running product marketing over here at Gong for about the last two years or so. And before that, funny enough, I was actually the co-founder of a small SaaS company that competed with Gong. It was called Conversature. And we were just three kids who didn't, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't have the credibility with the VC community to actually raise a substantial amount of money. And so we bootstrapped this startup for pretty close to two years. I think it was closer to about 18 months. And we eventually just ran out of money. And we ended up joining forces with Gong. And it was the happiest failure I've ever had in my career. I've had more fun working with the team at Gong than I've ever had in my career. Um, but before that, my background was in sales management and sales. So I was a regional sales manager over at a company called InsideSales.com out of Provo, yep. Provo Utah. And that's where most of my career has been, sales, sales management, and... I spent a lot of time on product marketing during our startup, which is what led me to running product marketing over here at Gong and having an absolute blast. Excellent. And, and, and what is it that you do exactly at Gong? Yeah, so Gong is it's creating a new category. We're about two years into it. So we're the number one conversation intelligence platform for sales. And what that means is we help sales teams have better sales conversations uh, and generate more revenue by capturing and analyzing their calls, not just their calls, but their conversations, email communications included. And we analyze those with AI so you can increase close rates, you can dominate your competition, you can ramp new sellers faster. So that's kind of the long-winded pitch, short-winded pitch is we analyze your sales conversations so you can sell better. <laughs> well, that's beautiful because that's bringing right in the topic of today. So that's... Uh... A beautiful bridge between going to my next question. You recently wrote an article that caught our attention and probably one of the reasons why we reached out to you to discuss further, to be honest with you. In that article, you you quote, and, and you are, you're truly right, about the fact that the market is, is becoming more and more crowded with new technology vendors that often rely on their product differentiation, on their spec or on their features, shall I say. And we know that the volume of um, the volume of those, those, those vendors is, is growing over the years. I think you've got a you've got an example actually in the article where you look at the Martech the Martech landscape, and I think you are talking five hundred vendors or even less than that in two thousand and eleven, and now we are looking at over five thousand. Or the, the numbers are quite crazy. So obviously there is lots of competitions, lots of people with lots of Good product, I'm sure, but everybody seems to be leading on features. And then you come with the, that concept that I think is, is, is great and what we, we talked about in Lens just before this podcast around the fact that really to get to, 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 to fight or to be on the battleground or to be strong on the battleground of competitive differentiation, what 
what companies should do is to drive or move the move away from product sale to having the right type of sales conversation. Okay. So before we get into that topic and, and some of the examples that you use and dive into the details, can you please tell our audience a little bit more about that concept of driving the conversation or driving the differentiation through sales conversation rather than features and products? When you think about differentiation, the average person is going to think about product uniqueness. And that's right. Like You should strive to have a very unique value proposition for your market and have a unique feature set. But what you need to remember in today's world is that having a unique product is only a ticket to play the game. It's not going to help you win the differentiation battle. Instead, the battleground for differentiation has shifted from having a unique product to having really good sales conversations. And so the argument I make in the article is that what your sellers say, do, and write during the sales process is where the perception of difference is created. And the reason I can make this claim with any sort of credibility is the exact trends that you just outlined a couple minutes ago. There's an explosion of competition in every B2B category. MarTech, like you said, is the perfect example. Just to use it to illustrate, in 2011, there were 150 MarTech vendors. And today, I think the number... I've heard two things. There's either 5,000 vendors or there's 7,000 vendors. But the point is, that's astronomical. There's a ton of competition in every category, and you cannot rely on a unique product to cut through that noise. And here's the last thing, not the last thing, but the last thing on this uh, riff I'm going on, I'll say about having a unique product, is if you compete in a competitive space and you think you have a unique product, the people at your company, your employees, your salespeople, your marketers, those are probably some of the only people in the world who really understand the uniqueness of your product. Because they live and breathe your product. They know everything about it that's different from your competitors. They probably know your competitors' products inside and out. They're spending their lives with the product. But when you introduce a buyer to your product for the first time, you know, they're just taking a look at it. They can't tell the differences so easy. It's, it's kind of like telling the differences between twins. If you're a parent, you spend your life with your children if you have twins. And eventually, you can tell the differences very easily. But people who are just meeting your twin children, they can't tell the differences as easily. It's going to take them a long time to be able to easily discern the differences. And the same thing happens when you lead with your product to differentiate, especially in B2B and especially in B2B technology today. Yep. I love the twin analogy. I must say also, I love the little picture that you put on the on the LinkedIn article with the two twins with a number on the end is, is quite fun. But and, and actually I have two of my best friends are twins, the two two ladies, they're identical twins. And I remember when I first met them, I could not tell the difference. And then obviously as I spend more time with them and you know they became my best friend, I was I could not understand that people could not tell the difference. And, and it's so true that you know when you look at it with a with a non-expert eye, you can't really tell. You're just like, this is, this looks similar to me. But then when you get involved on the, the day to day, it's, you almost feel offended that people don't see the difference. You're like, Oh, come on. This is obvious. So, so that's, that's probably telling us quite a lot, but that analogy is great in terms of, you know, the, the more you spend time, the more you are involved into something, the less what maybe what, what you may perceive as perceive as obvious is obvious to the rest of the world. 
And and I think that's, that's a very strong statement and a very strong analogy. So in the article, there is also something that caught my attention. You speak about the different way to differentiate yourself in the market. You use the Amazon example with like a ton of volumes and, and, and very low margin, but they're absolutely, obviously, doing extremely well as a business. You have the niche, which other people probably get stuck into being a small business, et cetera, et cetera. And again, very interesting to see the different angles you are using here and the categories. But moving on the article, you speak about dominating your competition. And I guess when, when you speak about that, you mean that the ultimate objective is for your prospect to see you as being unique and not even take the time or take the opportunity to compare you to someone else or to put you in a category. Okay, And, and we know that particularly when you deal with large organization who have large procurement team or processes around their procurement team, categories are really important for those guys. They like to put you in a box. Anyway, coming back to my question. How can you make sure that your prospect disqualify your competitors entirely and see your company as a strategic partner from the sales conversation? Well, I think that could make a few podcast episodes in itself, but I think we can definitely <laughs> touch on some of yeah. it here. I think the first thing you need to realize is if you could sum up everything we've talked about so far, so far, it is how you sell is just as important as what you sell. Maybe it's even how you sell is more important than what you sell because, again, the perception of difference in your buyer's mind is going to be created during sales conversations and sales communications, not necessarily just having a raw, unique product and hoping they discover that uniqueness on themselves. But if you're sold on the idea that how you sell is more important than what you sell, then there are a few things you can do during your sales conversations to really box out your competitors right out of the gate and get your buyer to not even see them in the same category as you. And I would say the first one is you need to tell a story about your customer, not your product, in such a way that threatens the stability of their status quo. So a perfect... And that's when there are a few things working here. First of all, you're talking about your customer, not your product. So now they're paying attention. Second of all, you're talking about a problem that's relevant to them. So now they're extra paying attention. And third, if you can tell a story that threatens their their status quo, it's going to trigger what we call loss aversion. And loss aversion, in short, is when it's the economic or behavioral economic principle that people are twice as hard to work to avoid something than they are to gain something. And when you can tell a story in this way, now you've gotten a seat at the executive table, you've become much more strategic while your competitors are tactical and pushing product features low in the organization. So I'll give you like one very short example of how to craft a story like this. Let's say you sell formaldehyde-free furniture. So for the unfamiliar, formaldehyde is like this weird chemical that used to be built into furnitures and it created all sorts of sicknesses. And it was actually very common. And today still is common for furniture to have formaldehyde. So a bad pitch, not a bad pitch, but a mediocre pitch, if you're selling formaldehyde-free furniture to retailers, is you say, hey, we provide formaldehyde-free furniture. It's green. It's healthy. Your customers are going to love it. You're going to make more money. That's focused on your features. And to some extent, it's focused on your benefits. If that customer is already totally sold on the idea of having formaldehyde-free furniture, then it might work. But if they are not, that pitch is going to fall flat. So here's an example of a pitch that you can tell that tells a story about the customer 
and threatens their status quo. And by the way, never use the words threaten status quo when you're on a sales call. People will not react well to that. This is totally an offline thing we're talking about. But without, without further ado, here's an example of a story you can tell. Just to comment quickly, I mean, this is so true. We, we see that on a daily basis. So yeah, operatics really are focuses in the beginning of the conversation and the storytelling. And we've got a, a great episode that we recorded with, with a gentleman actually also based in the Bay Area called Ken Rutsky around, around telling stories and how do you go. And he's got a layer cake methodology behind it, which he, he told us all about it. So, uh, so that was great. But the story is really key. And I think, and I agree what you're saying. You can't really tell people that you will, you will threaten them. But I think people enjoy being challenged. And I think it's quite enjoyable to be in a sales pitch. When I lead the sales pitch, I really enjoy challenging preconceived ideas. Okay. So people may associate something with something else and there is non-spoken objections, et cetera, et cetera. But coming back to the first point that you made, I think if you are able to speak to a prospect, almost put yourself at their level by understanding what's happening in their function, what the challenges on a day-to-day basis are. Obviously, you don't want to make some statements that are too bold and maybe a little bit too risky for you, but kind of almost empathize with, with what they are going through as a prospect, what they are potentially with their, their vertical, because we talk about the function, but it could be, it could be the, the industry. You know, you could be looking at them, you know, what's happening in their industry, etc. But relating to that in a sales pitch, as well as challenging what they are doing at the moment, and then telling a little bit like what we discussed with that new story about what could happen, when it is executed properly, I think you become the first point of call when there is an issue on the subject matter and they want your opinion. And as in a sales pitch or in, a, in an account management position, it's a beautiful position to be in. When you are the first person that your prospect or your client will call to get information, to validate something, or to discuss a pain point, I guess that's job done from a sales perspective. You really manage to get that confidence on track. And when there is confidence in the sales process, people trust you. Then obviously the product needs to deliver. But what a beautiful step it is to, to, to get the conversation going and put all the chances on your side to actually get a deal. Yeah, and there's actually, I have a specific tip that you can use to put yourself in a position like that. And this riffs very well off of how you box out your competitors kind of at the beginning of the sales process. And a very simple thing that I see very few people doing is tie your product's value proposition to a more strategic problem that will elevate your strategic value in the buying organization. So here, here's an example we do at Call. One of the key use cases of Gong is coaching. But when you talk about coaching and you use that as your value proposition, a lot of the times you're going to get kicked down to frontline sales managers or sales enablement who are great folks, but don't necessarily always have buying power because you've talked about a very tactical value proposition versus what we do now. And we still talk about coaching, but one of the angles we take with enterprise customers is instead of tying Gong to coaching, we tie Gong to competitive selling, which is why we're having this conversation right now. And when you tie Gong to, hey, Gong is a tool that's going to help you win more competitive deals, differentiate from your competition, and ultimately dominate your market. Now the C-suite or the VP of sales, those people high up in the organization are going to see you as much more strategically important 
like you said, they're going to see you as a confidant if you've positioned yourself correctly. And they're not going to be very likely to kick you down to lower levels in the organization. And by the way, while you're, while all of this is happening, what's most likely happening with your competitor is they're talking about something tactical, something product related, and they're struggling to get above the mid-level range in the buying organization while you have a seat at the executive table. So the kind of summary takeaway there is figure out a business problem or strategic initiative, hopefully a repeatable strategic initiative that you can tie your value proposition to instead of like a low-level tactical one. Okay. Well, that's bringing a a question to my mind in terms of uh, how would you run the first meeting with a prospect? Let's say it's the first ever meeting that you've got with a prospect. Obviously, it's a prospective organization. So as a salesperson, you want to engage with that person. So You've got the right accounts. You know that that account should do business with you. They may or may not using one of your competitors. And you are discussing, you're about to discuss with someone who've got authority. How do you advise your customer to lead the first conversation? Would you say, okay, do a, a PowerPoint presentation? Or would you actually just go there, turn the laptop off, and have a conversation with the person, have a business conversation with them around the challenges that you believe they have, then the challenges they actually have, and then how you could potentially help them to, to, to solve those challenges. How, how would you advise your clients to lead that first kind of raw, high-level decision-maker conversation? Well, the, the first thing I would say is if it's your first meeting with an account and you're meeting with somebody who's very senior, you probably missed the boat in the sense that you should have spent time with lower-level people doing some discovery and research throughout the organization. So that when you get this meeting with the senior buyer, you are very well-versed in the challenges that that organization is facing. So the first thing I would say is spend some time researching the account, talk to people within the account, even lower-level decision-makers and influencers, get time on their calendar so that when you get this initial meeting with a senior-level buyer, by senior-level, I mean somebody you know who's at the C-level, VP, SVP level. Now, assuming you've done that, when you go into a meeting with this person, I would plan probably no more than two or three well thought through diagnostic questions to validate some of the challenges you've heard at other parts in the organization. And then I would use that to spur the rest of the conversation, which should be an educational story about a problem that they're facing, that you've learned they're facing, why their status quo is being threatened and why they need to move. As far as addressing your question about like, would you do you know, a discovery call? PowerPoint or just have a conversation. My favorite thing to do is whiteboarding. I like to have whiteboard conversations with buyers where we're like illustrating things with markers kind of on the fly. A PowerPoint is sometimes a little too rigid. I don't necessarily... I I don't hate PowerPoint. I think a lot of sales and marketing people really hate PowerPoint. And I actually think it can be useful. But if you're well-versed enough in the buyer's problems, then I would stick with having a whiteboarding conversation and to finally put, you know, the last answer to your question is I would not have a discovery call with these types of people. You're probably going to get kicked in the teeth if you're having yeah. very asking them very generic questions, which is why I recommended you should go ask those questions to people who have a little more time and patience than they do. But that said, you should still kick off the conversation by asking you validating questions to make sure the conversation is going to be pointed in the right direction. Absolutely. And from my perspective, the good news with the whiteboard is when you are done with the meeting and you see the prospect standing up, taking their phone out, 
and taking a picture of the whiteboard. <laughs> Always a good indicator that something went well in, in the process. I've also got another question that is coming from, from, from what you just mentioned in the, in the not the, the previous response, but the one before that. Previously in our conversation today, I mentioned procurement process, et cetera, et cetera. And reading your article about features and differentiation, differentiation, sorry, you made a good point at some point. And I think there is also a visual in the article about people building up spreadsheets to compare your features versus another feature. Okay. I'm, I've done that recently. You know, I've got, uh, I've got a baby and a baby boy, and obviously I want to get the best pram, the best push share possible for that baby. So, you know, when you look at push share, I've just built up an Excel spreadsheet, and my wife is a finance director, so she's used to all that sort of thing. So we work together, and we had wait, <laughs> you know, how big it would be, can we put it in the car, does it look good, you know, and then we had to, like, rate all that. So we built up that spreadsheet. So coming back to my question, so when we know that uh, when you get to procurement, it's actually quite difficult, I find it, in my experience, to sell the value to procurement because you're already bogged down into the features, you're bogged down into pricing, and they just want, I mean, we probably have some procurement people listening to that podcast, don't get me wrong, or don't take it the wrong way, but beat us up on pricing a little bit, right? So at what stage of the decision-making process do you advise your clients to start that differentiating sales conversation? Well, you need to do it right out of the gate. You need to approach. It's not a conversation. It's a it, differentiation happens throughout the entire sales process. So it, it needs to happen on your first meeting. And if, if you're getting... So I, I'm not unrealistic enough to know that we're all going to have to deal with procurement. But I will say this. You can avoid procurement a lot more if you're doing things correctly upstream in the sales cycle. So yeah. if you're having conversations that are tied to a strategic initiative and you're building urgency by telling a story that introduces loss aversion and you've really gotten on the top one, two, or three priorities of the C-suite or VP-level priority list, they're only going to kick you down to procurement when they're absolutely ready to buy. They've vetted everything in the sales process and they're just telling procurement, hey, we want this. Here's the value. Just go get this contract signed. Now, of course, procurement is compensated in some cases on negotiating and trying to reduce prices as much as they can. So again, what you're going to have to do is not only are you going to have to sell your champion buyers on the value and ROI of your platform or solution, but you're also going to have to equip them to have that same conversation internally. You have to arm your buyers to be able to justify why your price is higher than your competitors and justify the value. So buying today, that's, that could make a whole other podcast episode in itself. Buying today happens so much more internally in the buying organization than it used to when it was like, you know, the only time people made decisions was when they were face to face with the seller. Now there are so many behind the scenes conversations going on in the buying organization. And that's really where salespeople have to up their game and get help from product marketing to do what I call buyer enablement. We're all familiar with sales enablement. It's equipping sellers with the right tools, collateral and processes to get deals across the finish line. You also have to provide buyer enablement, which is how do we enable the four to five decision makers in the buying organization to really come to consensus and buy and go through their internal processes smoothly. Okay. So... Have you seen or have you ever witnessed or have you ever helped the clients when, when the conversation is already, is already bugged down 
in what I would call the, the nitty gritty, the feature, the details, the product, and the Excel spreadsheet, and all that. Have, have you ever seen witness or help someone to actually turn that back around to elevate the conversation back to, okay, let's lead with differentiators, sales differentiators. I think that's maybe what you just mentioned about giving the buyers almost like another dimension to look at or another way to look at things or another way to evaluate things. But have you ever seen that in practice, changing a decision when the cycle was already well on the way? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, the, I'm the, asking you the question. I'm asking the question because I don't yeah. know what. When you already dip, yeah, and I'm not going to shirk it. That's, but that definitely needs to be said. Like what you do early in the sales process really sets the trajectory for your deal. But if you do find yourself in this precarious situation where the buyers pigeonhole you onto a spreadsheet and comparing you to three other competitors, and they're playing this spec war and they're grinding you all down on price because you guys are pretty much at parity with each other, at least from their perspective, what you need to do your your only chance in hell at turning that situation around without really dropping your pants on price is educating, getting your buyer to take a step back, get them on a meeting and say, Hey, I want to kind of press the reset button. I think there are some things that I have not told you during the sales process that I probably should have told you. And I think it's very important for me to tell you these things. And if you get them on the calendar, if you get that opportunity, that platform to tell them something new, now it is your time to unteach them about everything they have learned throughout the sales process. And where I would start is I would think about what is your winning differentiator and what kind of education can you give them to value that and beyond everything they're looking at in terms of a spreadsheet. So I'll give you an example. One of our differentiators at Gong, one of our like product level differentiators is we can analyze to a T what your best salespeople are saying and doing on their sales calls but if I just tell a buyer that's our differentiator and they don't necessarily value that, then they don't care. They're just slapping that on their spreadsheet. It's another row on the spec sheet and they're comparing you. But if I take a step back and I first educate them about the problem that feature solves and why it's important, and I say something like, Hey, I want to tell you a story about this performance delta, this bell curve we see in sales. And just about every sales leader is familiar with it. You know, you've got 10 or 20% of your sales force attaining 150% of quota. And it feels so amazing to see that. But what's so frustrating is everybody else on your sales force, the other 80% of your reps, they're a little bit below quota and they are canceling out the overachievement of your best reps. So this next feature I'm about to introduce you to is positioned to solve that problem. It's positioned to close this delta between your best reps and everybody else. And let me demonstrate for that or demonstrate that for you. So I just, if you listen to the story I just told, I flipped differentiation on its head. Instead of leading with my differentiating feature, I led to that feature and I started with the problem that it solves. And I made sure the customer valued that problem. Introduce the differentiator, and that is going to change their perspective on comparing all these products together. Did that make sense? That was like a very long-winded way of me explaining. Yeah, that. I think it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, the, I, I had another example that I read. I was just thinking about it actually as you were as you were answering my question. There is a great book uh, that is called The Challenger Cell, and that's from the I think it's from the consultancy Boston Group. 
And we love that methodology. It's about taking the control of the cell cycle, challenging the preconceived ideas or the prospect, but also teaching them something or educating them because teaching may sound a little bit, uh, a little bit too much. And, and in that book, they've got an example of, I believe it was a lady. I'm, I may be paraphrasing a little bit the story here because it was a while back since I read that story. But she just lost a deal or her company lost a deal. And what that company was doing was office furniture. And they just lost a deal to a competitor. So they received a call saying, look, we won't work with you. We've been all of your furniture. Someone else is coming. We've got a plan with them, et cetera, et cetera. We're moving forward with these guys. So she just picked up the phone to the client and said, well, you've been a client for I don't know how many years. What I would like to do is to give you 30 minutes of my time or one hour of my time for free where I can come down, look at what they're suggesting because I know you and I know your needs. We're talking about something slightly different here. We're talking maybe about a, a like saving an account rather than acquiring a new account. But basically the story goes that she goes there and she looked at the, the suggestion from the other company and said, look, what I would suggest you do is ask them to do that. Ask them to do that. If I was in your shoes, we see that open space increase the productivity by approximately 30%. So really for that team in that part of your office, you should not have partitioning, but you should have some sort of that space. And in that space, maybe you should have like a, a lounge type of area somewhere where people can relax or have a bit more of a, a laid back meeting, etc., etc. And basically by doing that, the story goes that she get the business back because she inspired the clients with ideas, with what's happening with, with stats of, of what she's seen in the market. And by giving this, almost this, this advice as a, as a gesture of goodwill for, for, for saying goodbye to a customer, the customer realized that actually they could have much better management from that person and went back to her and she got the business back. So I think, I think there, is, there is lots of way to go around things, but it's about, sometimes it's, it's also about the salesperson doing the extra miles. You know, we, we often see salespeople that wants to get very, very late in the sales process. You know, the, the, the individual in sales that tell you, okay, I want a very well-qualified opportunity to work on. I think that's all good, but the later you get to the game, the less you can influence the game. From, from, from our perspective. And I'd like to, as yeah. my final question to you, I'd like to just get your thoughts on that very briefly. Well, first of all, I agree with your influence in the sales cycle happens at the beginning and maybe the middle, not so much the end. Things start to really crystallize toward the end and what you do early on really sets the trajectory. But I do want to riff on what you said a minute ago about that story you told. And if you think about what that lady was selling, it was completely different than what her competitors were selling. So yeah. her competitors were selling that what she was selling was productivity and creativity for her, for the workforce. And so an understanding was, of the client, an understanding of what team is doing what, because she, she was understanding the client, so she was also able to provide this advice. But yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this can be applied at any part of the sales cycle. That's not just a, an account saving technique. Had she led with that story, <laughs> she probably wouldn't have to had to go save the account to begin with. But that's a tremendous way to differentiate. I love that story. Good. Well, thanks for that, Chris. The, the conversation today was really insightful and really interesting. We always ask at this stage of the podcast, our guest to give our audience a few ways to get in touch with them. So what we would like to understand, Chris, is what is the best way to get hold of Chris at Gong if someone wants to take the conversation that we had today away with you or have that one-to-one -one interaction with you to carry on the conversation we had today? 
Definitely LinkedIn. I spend more time than I should on LinkedIn. So you can just find me. I think I'm the only Chris Orlov on LinkedIn. It's a pretty weird, unique name. But if you need the spelling, it's C-H-R-I-S-O-R-L-O-B as in boy. So just pop those letters into the search box. Send me a request. I'm happy to follow up with conversations there. Great. Well, it was great having you today on the podcast, Chris. Many thanks for your time. And I've heard you mentioning a couple of times that like, we could do another podcast around this. We could do another podcast around that. So clearly you want to receive a further invitation, which we will make sure you do in the near future. Great. Yeah, this was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Chris. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.